louder. Recording live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting, mouthpiece of the Southeast, uncontested superstar of the airwaves, and your reigning and defending podcast champion of the world, Brandon A. Lane, bringing you the inaugural edition of a brand new series we're calling You Just Got Busted, where myself and a guest commentator are going to randomly choose a couple of episodes of the real Ghostbusters animated series. We'll watch the episodes, discuss them, and decide respectively if Busted made us feel good, or if the episode is just plain busted. So without further ado, let's decide our first two episodes, and the way we're going to accomplish that is I have painstakingly added 140 spots onto a randomizer app, so let's spin the wheel and see what happens. Our first episode is going to be... Number 51, and our second episode is going to be... Thirty-seven. The randomizer definitely gave us some spooky selections for this season. We have Hard Night's Day from the syndicated second season and You Can't Take It With You, which is also from season two, both coming up soon. But first, here's some messages from our sponsors. The real Ghostbusters will return after these messages. Hey, wrestling fans, have you ever wanted to watch the black and gold brand from the very beginning? Well, we have the podcast for you. Right here at Next Evolution, the rise and demise of the black and gold brand. See such stars as Seth Rollins, Bo Dallas, Bray Wyatt, Cassius Ono, Aiden English, and Corey Graves get their start all the way to the demise of the black and gold brand. Follow us at Next Evolution Pod on all social media platforms and follow our podcast, NXT Evolution, anywhere podcasts can be found. Do you love metal? Are you a nerd? Well, have I got the podcast for you. It's the Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast, hosted by me, Metal Thrashing Mike. And every episode, I'll be bringing you fans from the world of underground heavy metal, just waiting for you to hear them. So go check us out on all major streaming services as the Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast. Come on down to Mask by Lance, premium Friday the 13th custom-made hockey mask down there in Tennessee by Lance McKinney. Find him on Facebook and Instagram over at Mask by Lance. Go order one now, boy! Yee-hoo! 
Hey, assholes, it's me, Boner the Skeleton, mascot of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, here to sell you some shit you probably can't afford. Are you low on cash? That's not a problem. Sell your blood. Sell your children. Go to the jack-off clinic and give them a sperm sample. We don't care how you get the money as long as you give it to us. Would you like a t-shirt? A mug or a sticker to show that you're a true friend and a member of the Rant Army? Well, all you gotta do is go to RantArmy.com. And if you don't buy something, then fuck ya! Dive into the new action-packed thriller, Mr. Black. This is a story about a mafia hitman, Mr. Black, whose latest target is nothing like he's had to deal with before. Mr. Valentino is a man that's into the dark arts, who calls on the Grim Reaper to kill Black. However, the spell fails to be fully successful, as he is still murdered. Now, Death himself is pursuing Mr. Black relentlessly. Now who can Black turn to for help? Who can stop a curse like this? Get Mr. Black on Amazon Books or as a digital download on Kindle. We now return to the real Ghostbusters. Alright, welcome back, Rant Army. I hope you're in the mood for some supernatural shenanigans because tonight we're going to be delivering in spades. I'm your host, Brandon A. Lane, and joining me to discuss episode 51 of The Real Ghostbusters, better known as Hard Night's Day, is the technical advisor to the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, my good friend, Jason Davis. Hello, Rant Army, and hello, Brandon A. Lane. Very, very glad to have you on the podcast once again, and this is sort of a a uncharted waters for us. And uh, you're going to be taking the journey along with me. So if we sink or swim, we'll be doing it together. All right. Can't wait. (laughs) First question, movie aside, what is your relationship pre-having watched this episode uh, of Real Ghostbusters today and post-watching it? So I am like a Generation 1 Ghostbusters kid. I was six years old when it came out. Loved the movie. I've told you before, uh, it's probably the single movie I've seen the most. Therefore, um, I remember when this came out, I was really excited about the real Ghostbusters coming out. Uh, And not to harp too much on the movie, it's my all-time favorite movie as well. Um, But I guess that was my question. I jumped the gate. But um, where would this rank, like, Ghostbusters in terms of, like, your all-time favorite movie? It's got to be in the contention. Oh, yeah. It's top five. It's definitely top five. Um, probably before I was, you know, 2022 and started watching, you know, some of the classics, it was definitely my top uh, favorite movie. It was up there with, in my childhood, Ghostbusters, Karate Kid, they kind of ran neck and neck. Of course, the Star Wars saga was incredible. Before it was incredibly raped by a multitude of reasons. Absolutely. But I would say those are like my five favorite movies as a kid. Followed, strangely enough, by a really random movie that most kids didn't have the passion for that I did called Daryl, which was a Michael McKeon movie. But he's like a he's not. Is he a robot? He is a robot child. It's a it's the kid from uh, Neverending Story. Um, Sebastian. uh, Yeah. 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 Or Bastion. 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 Yeah. Anyway. 
we had taped Ghostbusters and Daryl back to back on a VHS tape on HBO Cinemax, something in 1985 or so. And I, I lived out in the country. We didn't have cable television. So you were pretty much stuck with VHS tapes. So I would watch them over and over back to back. But Ghostbusters and Daryl were both in my top, <laughs> like top six childhood movies. So 84, that movie comes out. It's the biggest thing in the world. And a couple of years later, we have the animated series. Mm-hmm. And what what was your, your take on that series prior to us watching this episode? And what is your take on it maybe now? Okay. Honestly, I... I was so excited about it, and I so hated it. And I don't know if you and I have a little disconnect there because I'm a little bit older than we're, you. I mean, we're both sort of relatively in the same age bracket, but, I mean, you are a little older right. than Right. We would be the same generation, but I'm six years older than you. Um, so when I saw it, I was— oh, well, Okay, let me, let's, let me truncate that. How old were you in 1987? 1987, I was nine. Okay, so, so I mean you're 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 in the age range that this was aimed at, mm-hmm. but maybe right on the cusp of moving out of it. Yeah, I think, um, and we we'll, we can talk more about it as we go. The deeper problems I had with real Ghostbusters <laughs> as a child, but it mainly is can be summed up this way: it it was the um, disconnect between the realism of the movie. And the jokey looking cartoon, I, I it just kind of pissed me off. Yeah, I don't know that this episode is going to change your mind, but <laughs> right. but um, did this episode uh, number one? Did you enjoy it? You know, as a forty four year old man, yeah, I kind of enjoyed it because it's it's hokey, and we we laughed the whole time we, we watched. We it. did, but for all the wrong all reasons. the wrong reasons. Um, so maybe that's a we'll we'll save our ultimate uh, you know praise or damnation for for this episode when we get to the to the end. But um, we I, I would say that by and large, this is probably not entirely representative of what positively you can bring to the table, or they did bring to the table with the series, but. Even even at its worst, this episode was still engaging, just maybe not in ways it was entirely <laughs> meant to be. Now, well, just uh, superficially, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of changes between this and, and the film. What what of those changes, uh, like, would you say are negative? So, okay, this is something that got me as a kid, too. And it could be like revisionist history in my head happening, but every time I hear, um, uh, every time I hear Peter talk, I see Garfield. Oh, that would be well. We'll get to our cast in just a moment, but uh, yes, there's a definite correlation there, and, and that's something that is always distracting to me about trying to watch it. Uh, number two, the animation just isn't great. I mean, if you look at it, it's it's definitely comparable to anything that was on television at sure. the time. It's it's all those like Korean sweatshop animation places <laughs> right, where right. they're they're Rainbow. whipping them for for three cents a day, so their tiny Asian hands could uh, and you know, and sometimes they're so crippled that they're just unable to, to able to you know accomplish their their intended goal. And there's some animation errors in this very episode, some mm-hmm. very funny ones where like they just gave up, right? But I mean, for what. 
it is. I don't think it's necessarily badly animated. It, it looks it it's comparable to like the the poorly animated GI Joe episodes and things like that. that's that's where I see it. Of course, you've watched all that more than I have I, and I can mean, make a better comparison. But well, I mean, a lot of the same the same problems are there. But I mean, there there are moments where. You know, it sort of rises above what it what it should be. The tapestries in this episode is a good example. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get to that in a few. Moments. I still think also at this point of the eighties, um, children's television wasn't really seen as something s- super serious. I mean, it was it was as a vehicle to make money and sell toys. Oh, absolutely. But, when when Reagan uh, deregulated right television to to allow people to market directly to children, the greatest decision ever made. <laughs> I know I know I say that in a, in a jaunting way, but I kind of mean it because it really did shape so much of the dude. The, I play with toys all the time, and that shit doesn't happen now. You no, have, you have kids. I like, have kids. They don't ever play with toys. It's it's sad. It, it is sad. Like I, I cannot tell you. Like the the memories I have of like sitting down in the floor. And playing Ghostbusters or G.I. Joe's, I mean, for like 12, 15 hours. Like, it was like this big, vast world in my head. And I had stories, and I was very articulate. And I would set things up, and, mm-hmm. you know. and and I just Setting them up, with, that was the fun part. Yeah. Like and, the and then first two hours of setting up the big battles. And for me, the, the, the show was just sort of like the physical manifestation of the things that were running around in my head. But let's get to our technical info. This episode originally aired November 4th, 1987. So uh, we're in November right now mm-hmm. when we're recording this. Uh yeah, just a few days off from just that. A few, so. Just a few days off, yeah. Um, 1987, how many years ago was Ooh. this? That was uh, 35 years ago. Oh, my God. Thir- so 35 years, uh, 35 almost year to the day, we're, we're re-watching this episode. But that isn't all that happened on this day. On that day, Bernito Santiago, the catcher for the Padres, won Rookie of the Year. I put that in there specifically for you. Benito. Oh. Benny Santiago. Yeah, there you go. Hit 300 that year. Go ahead. Well, there you go. See, you know your stuff. <laughs> also, the NBA had a, a banner announcement that day where they announced four franchises we were going to be opening up between 88 and 89. Those teams were Charlotte, Miami, Minneapolis, and Orlando. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they completely changed the, the landscape. I mean, a couple of those teams. For uh, the uh, worse. NBA well, for us NBA purists for the worst. Probably, probably. Yeah. Um, Spread out the talent even further. Yeah, but Shaq, man, Shaq sure. in Orlando oh, and yeah. uh, Miami was that uh, where what's his name played? Who? LeBron. LeBron. LeBron played at Miami later. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, uh, Charlotte. They had Bugsy Bugsy Moe's, <laughs> his name. Muggsy Bogues. Muggsy Bogues. Tyrone Muggsy Bogues. What did I say? Bugsy Moe's? <laughs> That's his name. Fuck it. We don't. Hey. Care. Um. At the box office, we have Fatal Attraction, number one movie. Are you a oh, Fatal yeah. Attraction guy? Or I do are... like Fatal Attraction. Glenn Close is disgusting. D- yeah, no, well, no. I know she's disgusting, but she's uh... there is no fucking Ooh. way that Michael, uh, what's his name, Mike, uh, Mike Douglas, Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas. <laughs> Mike du- <laughs> Mike Douglas. My, uh, there's Michael no, du- there is no way that Michael Douglas is cheating on Gene Triple. Oh Horn my gosh! With fucking worst decision no, ever. No titty. Of uh, egg, egg in a fucking pantyhose, titty, Glenn Close. There is no fucking way. Here, the, okay, good movie though. I like. Here's here's a debate for another day. You know, people say the crazy women are the best. 
You know, and she is uh, about as off the reservation Listen, as it gets in, in, in my, for my Per my definition of what a woman is, Glenn Close barely skirts the line. Yeah. Because yeah. all you have to do is <laughs> all you have to do is look at her with her shirt off and and, and she look, uh, she looks like somebody crammed some play doh <laughs> into a loose flap of skin and, and made titties. That's what Glenn Close looks like. I will not be ignored, Dan. That's one of <laughs> the she, best she spends two hours clicking in uh, off and on the uh, uh the, the light or whatever. Uh, uh, do what do you do? You have any idea what the number one song on Billboard was in 1987? 1987. Let's see. Not for the entire year, but just around oh, this time. At this time, let's say um, something by George Michael. So you'd be wrong. It's I think we're alone now oh, by Tiffany. Tiffany. God damn right. She should have been in that movie with Michael Douglas. Michael that Douglas would definitely tr- would have been more believable. However, she was underage at that point, was she? Uh, maybe, maybe eh. not. She's a Hollywood 18-year-old. She's like 40. <laughs> That's true. It's true. You have to be like eight to be in your 20s in the in the Hollywood world. It's disgusting and unfortunately true. However, the number one album, this shouldn't come as any surprise, Bad by Michael Jackson. Oh, wow. That's and, awesome. And dude, I can, I can remember S- Speaking being, of Hollywood and nine-year-olds, I mean- but don't, he said it, not me. Yeah, but, but I can remember around that time, like you could not escape Michael Jackson. No, that was that know. was that was the entirety of like 1987. Yeah, you know, just balls to the wall. No Michael pun intended, Jackson. Michael mm-hmm. Jackson and little boys. That was a full-on shiny glove, sunglasses, out in public. You know, like he was <laughs> bubbles, he was a king of pop. That bubbles, that was king chimp. of pop, Michael Jackson. Yeah. So now that we sort of laid the groundwork of what's going on in the world at the time, let's talk about our cast. We have Lorenzo Music as Peter Vankman, best known as uh, Garfield the Cat. But did you know that he also created the Bob Newhart show? No way. Yeah, that's actually what his claim to fame was, and he was that's he was one of those crazy. people that like he he every once in a while he would create a show, and then it's like, well, I'm just like some extra money. I got a weird voice. Let's do some voice acting. And it's crazy. Uh, he's with the series for a while. He ducks out because uh, I guess it gets back to him that Bill Murray had said, it doesn't sound anything fucking like me. <laughs> he doesn't. And he was replaced by Dave Coulier, who does like a, a nah. exaggerated version of Peter Vankman, mm-hmm. Bill Murray. He does more of a uh, Carl Spackler from Did Caddyshack. He do, was he doing Slimer also? No. Dave Coulier, because I can totally that no. you know crap that he no. does. Speak, speaking of uh, dating nine year olds, Dave Coulier, um, <laughs> Alanis, Alanis uh, Morissette. You, you, you. I don't know. You shouldn't be fucking committing uh, uh, such sins, there, <laughs> bitch. Uh, we have uh, Frank Welker as Ray Stance. He also plays Slimer, uh, the probably the most iconic uh, voice actor of his generation. I mean, he's up there with like Mel Blanc and you know people of that ilk. Uh, we have Arsenio Hall as Winston Zedmore. Now you didn't realize he was the voice of Winston until no, we watched this. That's that's literally crazy. But once you see it, or once you hear it, you hear it. So do like, you? You're not familiar with the story? No, no, not at okay, all. Okay. So do you know who else auditioned for the role of Winston? Somebody that's going to surprise me, Ernie Go Hudson, and, Ernie. <laughs> and he didn't get the fucking job. <laughs> God, that's the most insulting thing ever. Believe it or not. My favorite character in the real Ghostbusters is Winston. And I feel like the the best thing that the, the show ever did is that they they gave Winston 
adequate amounts of things to do, at least in the, the first season and going into the syndicated sex, second season. And when he he ducks out and we have a guy by the name of Buster Jones who takes over and he's he's fine. But by that point, they had basically made him the token black guy whose job is to drive them around places. Ugh. And yeah, they they really dropped the line. And that's a story for another day. When we get into later in the series, we have what I call the Q5 debacle. And if you want to hear more about us talking about us being the podcast uh it just in general about the real ghostbusters fat tony and i did a in-depth retrospective it's available in our old rss feed back before uh, we switched over to the one we currently have when we joined project louder uh maurice lamarche who voices egon spangler who's next up on our cast list he actually gave us an introduction for that episode so okay. maurice lamarche uh also the brain from piggy in the brain oh yeah well, i can hear it now at, at yeah. doing his best uh, impression of orson welles mm-hmm. and I, I was gonna say as we watched it i thought if i had to pick who sounded the most like the original cast the Egon character, to me, at least he, he speaks a little more like Egon. It's, it's and- funny because the way he got the role is that he went to audition. I and mean, they specifically told him, like, do not do a Harold Ramis impression. He's like, fuck it. I do a great Harold Ramis impression. Mm-hmm. And then they hired him because he sounded like Harold Ramis. <laughs> sometimes sometimes you got to give them what they don't want right. uh, because it is what's necessary. And then uh, rounding out uh, our cast for this episode of our main cast, we have Laura Summer as Janine Melnitz. This incarnation of Janine is really underutilized in this particular right. episode, but I know she's an animated woman, <laughs> but she's probably second only to Jessica oh, Rabbit gosh. in terms of attractiveness. I don't know what the fuck it is. It's the hard New Yorker accent and those pointy glasses, the the mini skirt, <laughs> but it gives me a a, a you know. I mean, I'm nine to five, like, boom, 12 to midnight. What's what's the euphemism I'm looking for here? My dick gets hard. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> we also have an additional, uh, a couple of additional people, uh, not from the regular cast, giving up voices. We have Nancy Merman, who I assume is the voice of Peter's love interest, Doris. The story kind of revolves entirely around her. And we have Alan Shearman or Alan Sherman. I'm not exactly sure, sure how it's pronounced, but I'm assuming he does uh, the voice of her. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the other. Sir love, Bruce. The other. Well, I was going to say the love interest. Oh, yeah. Um, because I'm assuming a lot of times in these, for budgetary reasons, the actors had to voice multiple characters. And I'm assuming that Sir Bruce, our antagonist of this piece, is voiced by one of the principal cast, but it's very possible he may have voiced him as well. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> so this episode, as many of the original run, was directed by a gentleman by I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this Mazazuka Higuchi. Hmm. Uh, he has a, a stellar career uh, directing things such as the Popples animated series. He did Alf Tales, not not the original Alf series. That was animated. The other one. <laughs> he did Barbie and the Rockers, which I have to say, uh, my cousin Taylor used to have on VHS. So I have seen this. It sucks, but I do remember it. Was this a, a competitor to Jim? Oh, yeah. It was oh, a, a, a hard, hard Like hardcore. Mattel was like, oh, uh, shit. Yeah, we've we got to get, get in on this. We've got to get some of that Jim money. <laughs> Jim, she's truly outrageous. Truly, 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 truly outdated. No one gives a shit about her anymore. <laughs> 
Um, but, uh, uh, he also directed a whole bunch of ripoff Disney animated bootleg movies. He did, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Pinocchio, Little Mermaid, and the list goes on and on. Uh. Um, however, this episode was written by a couple of fellas by the name of Steve Perrin and Bruce Reed Schaefer. Steve Perrin only has two writing credits. One is this episode for Real Ghostbusters, and the other one is the 1997 Star Trek Starfleet Academy video game. I've never played it, but it has really, really high reviews, and it's super well-regarded in the fandom. So, I mean, if you're going to have a limited writing credits, I I guess this is two things at least people are familiar with. Two things you could probably go to a con and and get get some people in line. You know, I am... as as lame as it might be, I'd be the one person standing in this guy's line. So. Well, Trekkies. I mean, they would be in his line if he. That's true. There are probably more. There's probably more Trekkies out yeah. there. But I would be the one guy. Like, I want you to sign this Ghostbuster <laughs> right. DVD. <laughs> we also have Bruce Reed Schaefer. Now, he, on the other hand, has worked on an array of projects, including. Three episodes of The Real Ghostbusters, one episode of Extreme Ghostbusters, The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Darkwing Duck, X-Men, Gummy Bears, DuckTales, Goof Troop. However, he's probably best known for as the writing, working on the writing staff for a series I didn't even realize existed called RoboCop Alpha Commandos in 1998. Hey, I... Totally off, not totally off topic, but I heard you mention gummy bears there. Gummy bears was uh, Peter not also a voice in gummy bears? Maybe I think he was like uh, the voice of uh, uh, the big dumb ogre or something like that. I only halfway remember gummy bears. I remember the theme song because that was the selling point of any eighties cartoon. That one has and, a banger, and I, I mean, remember that they <laughs> they had to drink some kind of potion to bounce their asses yeah. off of stuff. This is a stupid it was, premise. Hey, it was the eighties. You you take a drug and it's, performance enhances the shit out of you. They, they that's that's they why got they, it from Jose Canseco. They did. That's why they're that's why they're not allowed to compete in the, in the wacky races anymore because of PED uh, violations. Okay. Uh, Jason, in broad terms, tell us what this episode is about from your vantage point, your limited Ghostbuster, real Ghostbuster knowledge. What is this episode about? Like from a practical standpoint, it's about, uh, these folks from, uh, King, Ar- King Arthur's Camelot that time coming out of a tapestry, uh, while Peter was trying to get the hook up with, some strange looking woman and um, oh not just strange a woman who vaguely resembles the baroness from gi joe she does she's a little more pear-shaped than the baroness yeah she, uh, baroness she, was just hourglass well for days. It, it also could have been uh it also could have been that she's not wearing a like a, a tactical cat suit that that's true meanwhile peter is ripped like i I would have never guessed that uh, early in the episode he has no shirt on and he looks like no wonder a Bill, superhero character. No wonder Bill Murray was just disillusioned by the, his well, animated counterpart. But I noticed Peter when he has his costume or his costume his <laughs> uh, uniform on later looks like a sack of potatoes. So apparently well, in the Ghostbusters world, you're only attractive if you take off your clothes. Now, as somebody who is involved in the cosplaying element of <laughs> Ghostbusters, I can say that there's everybody wears more tapered jumpsuits these days. 
But the calling card in the old days, you know, back before cosplaying was really a thing, it's like they were oversized and baggy, and it sure. was not supposed to be flattering. No, it's a, it's a work. It's a work costume. Ex- exactly. So him looking like a like a like a you know sack of potatoes. Sack of potatoes. I was going to say like a like a bug man. I'm trying to word the what's yeah, the word I'm yeah. looking for um, exterminator. Yeah. You know that that Just kind coveralls. Of, coveralls. coveralls. That kind of outfit. You know is is not. Flattering is it's not it's not out of the realm of what he should look like. Right. So a couple of things uh, uh, instantly appeared to us that there is so much unintended sexual innuendo in this episode. Oh my god! Well, we say unintended with quotation I, marks. I think well, some of it was may have been playfully put in there in the production but there there are definitely moments and there's 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 got to be a disconnect when you hand off a script for people in America to mm-hmm. like you know some people in Korea or you know wherever they animated this that there's got to be some things lost in translation but <laughs> let's just kind of run down the list of like the things that happen in this episode the the first thing that happens the episode literally starts off with a bang you think they're 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 in the car the ecto 1 you think they're like racing off to you know something <laughs> like super super important like you know oh my god gozer's back or the state of <laughs> marshmallow man is attacking i think they literally made a car wreck in that, in, the, in that, yeah, and it was Peter was driving, and they they uh, he radios ahead like Janine, you got to open the open the doors. We're coming in hot. And I made the joke. I'm like, oh my god, he's got the Hershey squirts. They just had Taco <laughs> Bell, and he's he's getting ready to shit. And as he's running up the stairs, he's like, you know, throwing his clothes off. And I was like, oh shit, maybe he he does need to take it down. But it comes to find out, he's got this hot date with Doris. Right, number one, Doris is like a person who has never interacted with a a normal human being and B is so asexual like she's presented intentionally right. in an asexual manner that when she's crying out for Peter constantly <laughs> oh Peter <laughs> that you can't help but draw uh. these weird comparisons to to sex but th- the other things that happened in this episode... She's bound several times. <laughs> she she is. Oh, uh, what happens? There, there's a part later on where uh, Peter rescues her, and he has her up over his shoulder, and you noticed a, a well-placed yeah, finger. Yeah, he's, he's got his fingers in the crack of her ass. It, it's animated that way, and it looks like the he, animator had to be thinking his about His ring finger... I mean, disappears it's, it's like into it's, the crack. It's fucking knuckle deep in her in her fucking brown eye. And I mean, I'm not making this shit up. That that is how they fucking animated it. Um, there's also a part where where Winston gets fucking jizzed on basically, yeah. and and it has no consequence to the scene. Even well, okay, well they they impede on the like. Okay, so. Let's let's back up a little bit. So the the basic premise of this is that a the night Sir Bruce has been because of a full moon and the appearance of Doris who resembles Genevieve. Yes, Genevieve, uh, wife of King Arthur, wife of wife of King Arthur, who I thought was Guinevere, but evidently that's that's something else. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. But anyways, he wants he fucking wants to fuck her. Peter wants to fuck her. And there's this this like mental chess game going on of like who's going to fuck her. Well, Sir Bruce gets the upper hand because he 
he he wiles her with his uh, many servants and um and, and, and she starts a tram- transformation into his Boo from back in the day. Yeah, like, uh, but, the Genevieve but she's tempted by grapes. That's literally all it took <laughs> to get this fucking D- woman DTF was like, okay, give me some more grapes. And she's I'll like, oh, up. this dude has money or whatever a ghost has, <laughs> you know. <laughs> This guy, this guy, he's got he's got a wicked style. Number one, <laughs> he's got the beard, no mustache, uh, wild lino hair. Absolutely, um, he's got a a team of ghost- ba- battle armor, He Man outfit, like he and all his. Folks oh yeah, are he's he's straight out of like Masters Universe, um, Thundercats, <laughs> and then you have. His his entourage and they they really did look similar to the the bats from GI Joe the battle android oh, yeah. troopers sure. and I mean I'm, I'm sure that's not intentional but um you, the their shape was very similar their helmets and the color scheme so as this is all going on uh the the team sort of bisects you've got Egon and Peter who are you know taking care of the Genevieve situation and you've got uh, Ray and Winston, who they're going off to kind of deal with more directly with Sir Bruce and his men. Uh, they walk in on a, a, a feast, and uh, Sir Bruce's men, uh, his knights, have animated the things in this museum that they have gone to where the tapestry is held. So they're having a, a food fight. And Winston gets whipped in the face, but if you were to, you, you made a point that you could animate, or not animate, but edit this episode out of context, and it would basically be dudes grunting and then fucking Winston taking a hot load to the face. Yes. There's a lot of orgasmic, uh, Breathing in this episode, there were there were times that we had to pause the episode and rewind just because it was so <laughs> funny. And I'm trying to write notes down about like the actual plot, and I'm like, this is so disturbing <laughs> because if you were to just take the visuals away and just listen to the audio of this episode, it's just hardcore fucking like the, the, the scene 19, where- picture it 1987. Your uh, wife in her velour suit is is cooking dinner in the or cooking breakfast on Saturday morning. You know she's got shit running through her head like the uh, the the child uh, daycare sex abuse scandals of the eighties and Dungeons and Dragons and all these things out to like Satanize her literally, kid. Literally all stuff I just and, brought up in the trick or treat episode. And, and she hears in the other room this. Sounds legitimately sexual, moaning. Peter, and and she comes running, and it's Saturday morning cartoons. It's Saturday morning cartoons. She's got to think there's some insidious plot. I mean, first of all, there's nothing but ghosts and monsters. It must be be satanic. Yes, which was the thoughts of half the parents in the 1980s. Who they, uh, they might not be wrong on this one. <laughs> Because it, it definitely it, it is it is enchanted me it is it is lit my libido my libido flame and yeah. uh, <laughs> I've uh, I know that any episode we watch from now on I'm going to be thinking about it I'm going to be listening to hear if it happens in every episode. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I, this episode is low key rapey. We we <laughs> talked about it. Um, there, there's just uh, Sir Bruce's. You know, basically, like you know, you are my woman, and you will do do as I say. And then Peter having his 
finger up her, her dirt button. And, he and, said, how long I have waited to hold you in my arms. And yeah. it, it was just very... Uh, Oh yeah, like and all the and all these things that they would say, they all had basically they were basically set up for perfect riffing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I I have longed for you to be in my arms, and of course, and then we would say, and I have longed for my dick to be in you. Right, you know right. What I mean, like this, it just the shit writes itself. Yeah. Oh, um, we have a scene where Peter and Winston get on unicorns. And they they ride away, and then you have a a jousting scene with Sir Bruce and and that, and it's played so fucking seriously, but basically like alternating shots of their faces and, and the the the, the uh, super intense shot of the horse's face head on. <laughs> that was that was one of the funniest things in the entire episode because it was just it was played so seriously, and that's kind of love. I love that it's 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 trying to portray this shit as serious, but having a a fun. And tone I, I really it. wonder with the the international director directing it if some of that is bleeding over from their culture, just I, the. The the seriousness oh, mixed with silly. Japan I, is a weird, beautiful place. Uh-huh. Never change Japan. <laughs> there was a line that really made me laugh. Uh, the when the unicorns show up, it's because there's a tapestry on the wall, and it's just you know this like in a field, and there's unicorns and stuff. And Doris asks Peter what he what he has with it, and he says. Uh, he says something along, and I don't have the line exactly, but it's something to the effect of, he has a fascination with ponies who have candles growing out of their head. <laughs> so stupid, but that made me laugh. And it, I can I can imagine Bill Murray saying something along those lines, maybe not worded exactly the same way, but something just, you know, basically like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, just not giving a fuck. He's a total asshole, yeah, basically. And, and um I've already forgotten the voice actor's name, but it is delivered really well with a with just enough of that like sarcas- sarcasm. Yeah, that, yeah. he's he's not he's not uh, he's not being overly sarcastic, but he's saying it dryly enough to where you know that he's not serious. Do you do you think it was a a budgetary decision that even though. Uh, Peter refers to them as being from jolly old England and they're, you know, part of the Arthurian legend. Uh, they don't have English accents. Um, they have they have what what don't back, think just consume product yeah well they have what a lot of kids shows cartoons did. good they, eat cereal they just used uh, big words. And that's how they came off as English, you know. Toys are cool. <laughs> do you do you think that um, they? It was a very popular toy series. Oh yeah. Um, do you think that when they were making these episodes, they were thinking about these villain characters as a possible toy? If they went into further no. lines, no. no. And 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 here's the reason why. Playmates who did Ninja Turtles, they they incentivized basically like any character that is created that you know ends up being used in toy form. You'll you'll get like a percentage back on that. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a big disconnect between um, Deke and uh, Columbia's uh, uh-huh. animation division and. Kenner, who was producing the action figures, right? 
Like there, there are no villains from the animated series that made it into toy form. Wow. Like, yeah, none of them. Like you had big ones like the Boogeyman and Sam Hain and uh, the uh, uh, the Sandman. Did I say that? Where, uh, but were the toys from the real Ghostbusters on the shelves at the same time as the toys from Ghostbusters? Real good. There were no toys. Oh, from there there were no toys. Oh, really? No. There, oh, I didn't there even were realize some, that. There were some like T-shirts. So I guess and the Ghostbusters toys I had were real Ghostbusters toys, and I just didn't realize it at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Um. Here, here's a few things. It's first off, it's pretty obvious that the title of this is a riff off of uh, "Hard Day's Night" by the Beatles. There's no thematic similarity, but it is a fun little play on words that kid, a kid probably wouldn't get. But I, I appreciate a good, you know, turn of phrase. Mm-hmm. However, um, one thing after watching this episode, I'm kind of wondering if you picked up on. Did you realize that this is basically the same plot as Ghostbusters 2? <laughs> it is. I did not even think about that. It so, really is. Um there's no, there, there's got to be no way that this inspired Ghostbusters too. This has to be just a weird coincidence, a weird fluke. Do you think it's possible that maybe the right when when did Ghostbusters two come out? Eighty nine. Eighty nine. So it was filming. Eighty eight. Yeah. So, in it's possible. It's possible, but I just I just can't imagine that Dan Aykroyd was like watching. <laughs> Watching the animated series religiously and being like, I don't oh know, my god, man. this is this is a good Dan idea. Aykroyd's a fucking geek. I I would not doubt that he watched that shit. I know for a fact he's seen some episodes, but he's also uh, much like Bill Murray was saying, "Oh, he, uh, uh, Lorenzo music doesn't sound anything like me." He's like, "Oh, they made me the fat one." <laughs> Yeah, well, he kind of made himself the fat one. He wasn't super fat back then. No. He kind of is now. But listen, when you're. We still love him, by the way. When you're married to Donna Dixon, his dick's in her more than he's watching Ghostbuster cartoons. Maybe. At least I hope so. Maybe. But, but that is wild. I I wonder if anybody's uh, brought that up. Let's let's uh, let's break it down. You got a date gone wrong, mm-hmm. or you know that happens in Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. Uh, a recently unveiled painting, the Vigo painting in Ghostbusters 2. The main villain comes from a painting. Uh-huh. There you go. Uh, magic anchors the villain to the painting. Uh, yeah. That's you know they they killed him all those different ways, and they, the only way they could contain him is the in the in the painting. Uh, Peter's love interest is taken captive. Uh, data happens, yeah. happens to her in there. The only difference is Doris doesn't have no kids because Doris has never had sex before. <laughs> well, the, another until, little... Until she was raped incessantly in this episode. Another little thing, there's kind of a third wheel in both of them. You know, there's the the uh, accented guy in oh, Ghostbusters y- 2 Yosh. that that works there and knows Dana. And there's this guy that oh my God. owns or is at the cloisters or whatever, and he's kind of the... The interrupter, interloper. Yeah, I mean he's he's a lot less rapey than uh true than Janos gets because. But you see the uh, Peter character and gets really fired up. Like who's who's this guy talking to my woman that I'm taking on my very first date? Um, It's very uh, possessive. It's not exactly the same, but the Ghostbusters repel over the wall Uh in this episode. They repel down through the top of the museum in the movie, but. There's definitely a similarity there. Mm-hmm. Uh, proton packs don't work on uh, Sir Bruce. They uh-huh. don't. They don't work initially on on Vigo. And um, you've got the victim placed before the painting. Uh, that's 
the entire plot of this is that they're they're trying. I, and I, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think about this. In what what was the intention of this episode? It wasn't for Sir Bruce to get out of the painting. He wanted her to bring her to, her into to, the painting right. because he's trapped there forever, and he love he loves her. And why was the woman fading from the painting? Because she because her she was taking his. Doris was taking her place. Okay. I think so. He was just trading up, I guess. Because if the other woman was in the painting, wouldn't she have been with him? No, but it wasn't the same. Okay. It wasn't the same one. He's in a different. I don't know. Yeah. His painting is not the tapestry that she was in. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But uh, you have Vigo using uh, on the Mountain of Skulls and the Castle of Pain where he's you know, hypnotizing Yano. So there's some parallels there. The story kind of falls apart, though, because people people and objects come out of a bunch of different um, tapestries. But the woman that he loves can't come out of her tapestry. I don't get it. Like, uh, well, yeah, but they're he's he's animated them, but they they don't have souls or anything. Okay. You know what I mean? They're All just right. they're like reanimated objects. So he's not too creepy, or he could just reanimate his uh, woman and. <laughs> well, like, I guess he could have. He could he, stick her back in there. He at the end of the till, day. he. Oh, that's another thing. I guess we should mention is that as long as the sun is up or the moon is out, that's what allowed him to escape the painting. But basically, they have to wait him out until the sun rises. Is there anything because, similar with Vigo? No. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess I guess because they need there's a time crunch. They, they need it to be uh, the stroke of midnight and um, and so there's a countdown. In yeah, as but well, I guess I guess there's another similar aspect there. But uh, yeah, hmm. interesting. So I guess uh, unless you have just some, uh, you got any more th- anything else you want to say about this episode? Well, I thought. Um, uh, and it, they talked about the Peru 1942 Emma Gordo manifestation, and we immediately had to check and see if that oh, was a real I, thing. I was like, oh, my God, uh, I know this. This is something. And I'm like, that's not how it's said. It's Alamogordo. And I'm trying to rack my head of like, what is what does this mean? I looked it up. I'm like, oh, I know this from Breaking Bad. Yeah. So I, so I guess that was a, a false connection, a uh, uh, what do you call it? Mandela Effect kind of thing, like you. Uh, well, I mean, it was just it sounded like similar. something that I that I recognized, so my brain was trying to connect the dots. So let's get to our verdict. Okay. Um, we have two options. Did this episode bust and make you feel good, or did this episode just leave you feeling busted? So I think it probably left me feeling busted. I will say. There was definitely an element of busting to all the, you know, you just have sentimentality for seeing an old show you haven't seen in a long time. Um, and we got a, a bunch of good laughs out of it. But I think if I, if I was doing a, uh, you know, sitting down and watching 10 straight episodes and this was the fifth or sixth episode, I'd be like, eh, that wasn't a good one. I, I, and I think this all depends on the way you look at it as, as a, Episode that is representative of the best this series could offer, this episode is busted. That being said, I did feel good when I busted watching this episode <laughs> because it was ridiculous. But 
I, I'm going to have to give it a busted rating ultimately. So yeah. what a what a way to start off with a with a not so great episode. Hopefully we'll make it, uh, knock it out of the park for the next one. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to cross the streams on You Can't Take It With You from Season 2. Stay tuned. There's something strange in the neighborhood. So who are you going to call? Ghostbusters! Each sold separately. Have no fear. Vegas, Steph, and Spangler are here. So are these ghosts. They've got exoplasm. We've been gooed. Now what? Stay puffed, Marshmallow Man. Let's show this pile of dessert who's boss. Activate Neutrona Blaster. We ain't afraid of no ghosts. Peter Venkman, Ectoplasm, Stay Puff, Marshmallow Man, and other figures each sold separately. Ghostbusters, new from Kenner. Welcome back, Rant Army. Flip the switches on those proton packs because we're about to go full protonic reversal on the real Ghostbusters episode You Can't Take It With You from Season 2. Now, right off the bat, do you understand the significance of the second season of the real Ghostbusters? Well, <laughs> no. Although you have said it was, it got out into syndication, so it, it spread much more. They hit, did they hit 100 episodes in the second season? I believe so. But the, here's the real thing. When they decided they were going to make this show, they landed on ABC. And that first season, it's 12 episodes, mostly pretty good. Like the animation budget like is probably the highest on those episodes. But they wanted to be able to sell this into syndication because that's how you made the Buku bucks back then. Because then it could air everywhere on different stations and, you know, at different times. And you're basically you're covering the market Whereas, you know, ABC is, you know, Saturday mornings. It's uh, where everybody, for for the most part, who had like antenna or, you know, whatever could see it. Mm -hmm. But there are places where, you know, it was shown on cable. It was usually on USA uh, Cartoon. Um, I can't think what it's called. Captain Cartoons. Uh, Cap uh, cartoon Cavalcade or, you know, one, one of those things. And mm -hmm. it was just shown ad nauseum back in the day. I mean, to the point where it was on like every day in some places. <laughs> Which right. was great for me. <laughs> but the thing about network as opposed to syndication all comes down to what you can get away with. The episodes that were made specifically for ABC, they're skirting the line, but they're going right up to it and, and halting because standards and practices. They had the overlords that they had to appeal to. Right. The syndicated episodes... They just sold them. They produced them and sold them. And you bought the package and what you got was you got. And if you didn't want to show something because it, you know, went too far in your opinion, you just didn't show that episode and went on to the next one. But the syndicated episodes got away with so much more. I mean, there's references to, you know, to real world occurrences of, you know, witchcraft and mm -hmm. and things that just you weren't going to see on Scooby-Doo. You know what I mean? Right. So that's the big uh, indicator of why I think specifically the second season, the long season, because it was created so there'll be enough episodes to go into syndication, which it more than likely put it over the 100, 100 mark, is the best season overall. Because the gloves are off. Mm -hmm. And for a 1980s kids cartoon, 
Uh, it's probably one of the things that has allowed it uh, for a 30-year-old man to revere it in the way that I do. Not saying that it's a masterwork of anything, but I think some of these episodes have plots that are as good as the broad stroke ideas of, you know, the first two movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episodes that we watched for this episode, probably not so much, but you get where I'm going with that. Right. Where do you stand... And what what was your Saturday morning cartoon intake back when you were a kid? What was the, the can't-miss programs of your childhood? So, under 10, um, we'll go with uh, Smurfs. I was a big Smurfs fan. Looking back, I have no idea why. Uh, <laughs> there's something about Smurfette, man. I don't know. Uh, and I don't... I really think we had so few options back then. And like I've said before, we didn't have cable when I was a kid. So you're kind of stuck with what was on. And the Smurf seems like it was a really long show. Like it, it was like a 90, was it 90 minutes? I don't remember. What? They, they, Smurfs, at least the Smurfs I remember watching was longer than a regular cartoon. It no, was like, yeah, well, maybe they ran, episodes. they ran like three episodes together or there maybe, was, there, maybe there was an animation block of Smurfs, but maybe so. But that's how I remember 23 it. minutes of Smurfs is too much in my opinion. <laughs> that's how I remember it. I loved Dungeons and Dragons. Um, Dungeons, and, Dungeons and Dragons is probably the unsung contender for best animated series of the 80s and i'm not being hyperbolic there was a an ongoing plot mm-hmm. you had well-defined characters and um yeah the animation was good i like dungeons and dragons you know honestly i watched cartoons a lot garfield was was one i liked um but my favorites were – I don't know that they were necessarily Saturday morning cartoons. I'm not even sure when I saw them. They, so they must have been Saturday mornings. I liked Space Ghost. I liked The Barbarian. Was it called Thunder the Barbarian? Thunder the Barbarian. A lot, a I, I lot loved of those, Johnny Quest. A lot of those things, those were probably like after after school I really shows, liked that yeah. animation style. In, in, the Hanna-Barbera the, the late 60s, early 70s era cartoons. Where you ran past the same background 20 times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there was something, they were a little more realistic, a little less cartoony. I I was never really big on just like the silly, jokey cartoon Saturday morning cartoons. I liked it, action adventure, that kind of thing. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because as an adult, I absolutely love Looney Tunes, but as a kid, I fucking hated Looney Tunes. And I've tried to piece together my reasoning as to why. And I think it's because I love narrative mm-hmm. and I don't like silliness for the sake of silliness. Like, Well, you're the four-year-old that was like watching adult movies, like R-rated movies, that, like people's heads getting chopped off and stuff. That's that's true. Why would you like jokey? <laughs> No, it's not that I don't like jokey. I think what it all comes down to is like there was this revolution when I was in probably high school, the Adult Swim revolution. Sure. Yeah. Where they had 15 minute shows and they're just like ridiculous nonsense. Mm -hmm. And I love that shit. Mm -hmm. And it's all because of the amount of time. It's like, okay. I can I can deal with something that's jokey and silly and doesn't have a real plot for 15 minutes, but mm-hmm. at more than a half an hour, I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know, turn the fucking channel. I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. And a lot of Saturday morning cartoons of the era that we grew up were like 
you, you mentioned the Smurfs. I remember the Snorks. And oh, I, yeah. I fucking I remember that. I fucking hated the Snorks because it's like, Jesus Christ, I don't give a shit. Well, it's the it's part of the same reason that a lot of 80s shows were very nostalgic, but we go back and watch them and it's like, who God, there's a lot of like a lot of a lot of fat, a lot of padding, a lot of fat. And it's what stand up comedians talk about. You got to cut that shit. You got to you got to get it tight. It's got to be bang, bang, bang. Yeah. And not just, you know, a good joke. And then 10 minutes of garbage. The Star Wars holiday special, like 30, oh 30 minutes of Wookiees talking with no subtitles. <laughs> Mala and itchy. Ugh. There's an industry term. It's not an actual industry industry term. It's one of the things they say behind the scenes that you got to learn to drown kittens. And it's that you have to like you may be in love with the things you're doing, but you have to take a step back and say, okay, well this this needs to be cut. And a lot of cartoons from that era, um, yeah, they were they were not great. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, the real Ghostbusters sort of elevates itself because of that. And especially endears it to myself because it's very plot driven. Mm-hmm. And some of those plots are ridiculous, but they there is an A to B to C element to them. There's a cause of events, you know, a domino rally of, you know, one thing leading into the next. What do you feel about the fact that we we exist right now in 2022 in a world where there are no Saturday morning cartoons? I think it's really sad. And I think um, it's a direct reason you know, our kids live on two and three minute, you know, snippets, TikTok, TikTok snippets and, and f- 15 seconds, some of them, yeah. you know, and our kids have no attention span. And as somebody that works with kids and sees kids, uh, you know, I have kids, I work with kids they're they have no attention span. And honestly, the kids who do have an attention span usually have older parents. And I think that's because those older parents come from like our generation that watched, you know, uh, 50 episodes of a cartoon that has no plot. And we, we, we were more patient kids today, man. They, they've, I mean, they've done studies, you know, like SpongeBob square pants on, you know, they're like ADD machines. Oh, you put kids in front of these and it's just, and, and just for the record, I fucking hate SpongeBob. That's not to say you couldn't show me an isolated clip and I wouldn't find it enjoyable. But that just goes back to the point I was saying where it's 30 minutes of nonsense. And just I just, like I can't, I can't sustain I, myself. I think we that. may have had this conversation before. Family Guy. You oh, know, Family Guy is terrible. You know, Family Guy, I will laugh out loud about every time I watch it. But I don't watch it often because it's just non sequitur after non sequitur after non sequitur. You watch the episode and you immediately like, I don't remember what happened right. in that episode. Right. Whereas The Simpsons, as bad as it is, and it's been on the air for you know, 30 plus years. I mean, how are you going to stay fresh with that? I watched two episodes from this past season just out of pure curiosity and they were not good, but I remember the plots of them. Mm-hmm. So there, it's, it just shows you that like crafting a story is a lot more on the forefront of what they're doing as opposed to the let's crank a joke out every 20 seconds mentality of a lot of stuff. But let's get back to your kids. Mm-hmm. Did they was there a point where like Rogan mm-hmm. watched Saturday morning cartoons or had they already kind of phased out by that point? Honestly, I think 
by the time he was uh, of television watching age, we were already into the burgeoning streaming era yeah. where on demand, anything you want to watch or DVR, you know, we got 300 episodes of that on the DVR. There, there was no time that you necessarily had to sit in front of the TV to watch cartoons. They were always available and it sucks. Who would have thought? Well, one of the things that happened in, in my lifetime that kind of was a game changer, not so much for me, in my cartoon watching era of being a child, but is that cartoon network happened where all of a sudden 24 hours a day, there were cartoons and that was like unheard of, you know, in the broadcast uh, era of our time. Yeah. The closest we had was early Nickelodeon, you know, where they were filling a lot of time with, you know, uh, international cartoons or a lot of stuff. Bill and Sebastian and and, and, um, danger uh, mouse Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Which some of that stuff was actually pretty good. I liked, but some they of that but stuff. they also produced some some awful awful stuff. And there's a lot of pedophiles works at uh, Nickelodeon too. Look into that shit. That'll turn your fucking stomach. Ooh, no doubt. I didn't mean this to get on a, a, a tangent. Let's get back to the the episode at hand. You can't take it with you. It was released October fourteenth, nineteen eighty seven, and uh, on that day. There's some more interesting uh, sports-related things that happened. The St. Louis Cardinals beat the San Francisco Giants in the Major League National League Championship. Wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that 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 uh, Cardinals team was uh, – that's Ozzie Smith, Vince Coleman. Jack Clark had a huge year in 1987 for, for my baseball fans out there. I think Tom Pagnozzi was the catcher. Uh yeah, I absolutely fucking hated the Cardinals. You're a Reds fan. I'm I'm a Reds fan, so that's a that's a, a division rival today, and I hate the Cardinals with passion. When I was a kid, I did not because they had Ozzy Smith and he did backflips. But my my stepbrother lives in St. Louis, and uh, he's you know, and the few times that he and I have like talked over the years about me like potentially going out and visiting, he's like, oh yeah, we'll go to a Cardinals game, and I'm like, man, I live. You know, twenty minutes from Smoky Stadium, and I have no interest in in watching them half the time. So. That's the reason I can't even watch our minor league team. It's like, uh, it's the Cardinals. I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> Actually, they're the Cubs now, but uh, do, regardless, do you do you know the other the other major story? And this is a one of those things that, like, uh, you could say to a person today, like of you know a younger age, and they would have no idea what what we'd be talking about. But something that was a big deal. In the tabloids and the news, just news coverage. This is the first news story that I remember being all over the news. Baby, baby Jessica. Oh, Baby Jessica. I was going to guess Iran Contra or something, but uh, uh, no, baby, baby Jessica. Baby Jessica fell down a well, and that sung, happened. Didn't she sing the Winnie the Pooh song? Wasn't that the like cute thing that this baby down a well? And there would be. I don't. They I, were singing Winnie the Pooh to try to cheer her up. I think. Poor, poor little girl. And uh, it's one of those things that, like, this was a shifting moment where, like, does the world really need to know about this? And, I mean, if you lived in Midland, Texas, like, this was probably something you want to know about, a public interest story, this type of thing that, like, a local newspaper would just have a field day with. But when you're putting this on national news, it's like, okay, this has nothing to do with me. And You know, the the worst part of it is... Baby Jessica wasn't the only baby that even fell down a well that day. There were 29 
Um, Are you joking? Minor- there were 29 minority babies around the world that fell down wells that day too, but they didn't get near. Yeah, because depressed. a little a little white girl fell in a well. Yeah. Well, I, I'm totally the just- racist, <laughs> the racist <laughs> media. That very well may be true, uh, and, 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 and statistically, it probably is true. There's probably some kid. That- I didn't even know people were using wells in 1987, but you know, well, it is Texas. Well, no offense, Texas. If you're going to play in Texas, you better have a fiddle in the band. <laughs> that lead guitar is hot, but uh, not for I, Louisiana. I, I, don't, okay. I don't even know why I know that. Okay, uh, Michael Jackson and Fatal Attraction are still number one on Billboard and at the box office. But guess what the number one song on that day was? 1987. Um, let's say we're leading up to Halloween. Uh Rockwell. I always feel like somebody's watching me. Yeah, that, that was that was way before eighty seven. Okay. That was like eighty three. I kind of thought that, but it, I, I was going with it. It was the song called uh Lost in Emotion by Lisa Lisa. Uh, Lisa Lisa. I remember the name but I don't I didn't recognize the song. <sighs> so no, one of those I'm I'm sure I know it. One of those eighty it, one of those eighty songs that's just kind of fallen off into obscurity and Better left to time, probably. And for those Lisa Lisa fans out there that I'm offending, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't remember Lisa Lisa. So good, they had to name her twice, evidently. <laughs> All right. Our cast is not too dissimilar from uh, the one we had the last episode. we got Lorenzo Music as Peter Venkman, uh, Frank Welker as Ray Stance, Arsenio Hall as Winston Zedmore, Maurice LaMarche as Egon Spangler. However, no Slimer in this episode, no Janine in this episode. Hmm. Now, normally... Not having Slimer an episode would get two thumbs up from me, and we haven't been hit head on with how abrasive Slimer can be in some of these episodes. Why do you think it was necessary for so many 80s cartoons to have the mascot character? So I I think it's the same kind of thing as um, the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi. You know, you got to have your cute little marketable sidekick i mean did marketable sidekicks start with like cousin uh what's his name from brady bunch that didn't work cousin oliver yeah i mean it was that's robbie wrist do you know he went on to voice michelangelo in the 1990 uh, really um teenage mutant Ninja Turtles, which is about to be shown at our our central uh, cinema right down the road Um, road i did not i did not know that but um i i will say that was a very common thing you know you had orco you had Snarf uh, from Thundercats. Snarf, really? That's odd. And and but do they a, ever explain why um, Slimer is like more, their buddy now? There is a more organic reason for Slimer to be involved than a lot of these other mascot characters. And Slimer may be the exception to the rule because people. I mean, look around this room we're in here in the Black Lodge. There's a lot of representation of Slimer around. Oh yeah, uh, you know, both from the films and from. The, the animated series, but I do agree that they, they take him a little too far. But from your perspective, put yourself into the age you were back then. Did you give a shit about Snarf or Orko, or did you fucking hate those characters? Because I generally did not want anything to do with those characters. You know, honestly, I didn't come to watch Masters of the Universe for Orko. I came for Tila's sweet tits. Yeah, I think they were... Um, a novelty when they would like first show up, but by the second or third time, they're just a foil. They're like always doing stupid shit that like 
cause the good guys to like lose or go off the track yeah, they're, or they, they're always, they you know they're the merry prankster kind of they're always used as basically the the get out of jail jail free card to allow your team who should be sufficient enough to overcome an obstacle to have to take a couple of steps back because oh no Orko showed his dick or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, uh, specifically with this show, I can distinctly remember hating his voice. Nothing against the voice actor. He did a great job. But just a, like all the time he's questioning with his little stupid he, voice. And In the earlier episodes, they use Slimer a lot more in a accentuating kind of way. And he's, he's less verbal. One of the things that happens in the later seasons is what I call the, the, the ruination of real Ghostbusters because of an organization called Q5. For more information about this, check out our retrospective we did back in the archive. But Q5 gave them all of these instructions about things they needed to do to change their very successful show to make kids dislike it, which they ultimately accomplished. But one of the things is like, well, you got to put Slimer front and center. That's why the show in later seasons became Slimer in the real Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he was more articulate and they, they made him more lovable and he's more integrated into the stories. But not, not, not in this one. Buck Rogers had a little sidekick too. Tweaky. Uh, Tweaky. But beedy, beedy, what, beedy. what that made me think of Buck Rogers when I was a kid and when Brandon was a kid, I'm sure uh, you Listeners that are like younger than probably 30, um, we used to do things called like, let's play real Ghostbusters in real life, where you pick a character and you play together like you're those characters oh, from yeah. your favorite and TV show. No one was ever Slimer. No one was ever Slimer. No one was ever an Ewok. No one was ever Orko. You wanted to be He-Man. You wanted to be Man-at-Arms. You wanted to be, you know, you did not want to be the sidekick. Fuck the sidekick. The sidekick was your little sister. Like, if she insisted on playing, you you can be whatever, you know. Oh, my God. I can remember. And this is probably a sexist mindset of, like, six-year-old <laughs> me. But um, my cousin, Beth. Hey, Beth, if you happen to be listening. We, she would come over, you know, to my grandmother's house and we would play like Ghostbusters or Ninja Turtles. And I would refuse if she was like, well, I'm going to be Leonardo. I was like, no, you're not. You are April O'Neil. You have a camera and you will film me as I fight crime. <laughs> or if we're playing Ghostbusters, you are Janine. And you will answer the fucking phone. <laughs> That's Sexist terrible. Ass. That's terrible to say, but that that was the the mindset of a different era. So, oh yeah, maybe we've progressed but beyond that. Some of you who uh, may watch uh, the show, The Goldbergs, you see Adam in The Goldbergs is often playing out his favorite movies and TV shows in real life. And that was a legit thing we really did back when kids used their imagination. Oh my god, I I. I th- I I fervently wish I had more of that in my life now. Oh, yeah. I, I, my job is I literally dress up every single day and play, you know, a monster, which if eight-year-old me would be like, oh, my God, that's the greatest job ever. You're going to love your life so much. No, it fucking sucks because I don't, I don't get to choose, like, who I am. You know, I have to play a, a set role every day. But I feel like when you get older – and you become nostalgic for your earlier life, I think some of that is coming down to the fact that the way you use your imagination evolves. Because as an adult, you use your imagination uh, 
you know, as the ways to get around problems or, you know, the adversities you have and not as a, a leisurely thing. And right. we kind of lose that because you're expected to not be a weirdo who <laughs> wears red underwear over his pants and, <laughs> and acts like he's flying in your parking lot. They send you to the loony bin for that kind of stuff. And one of my favorite things, there's a movie uh, I'm sure you, you love as well called Step Brothers. Absolutely. And um the the father character who marries Mary Steenburgen, he he makes this uh this like impassioned speech about how when he was a kid, all he wanted to be was a dinosaur, but he grew up and like <laughs> and he couldn't be a dinosaur anymore. He's like, you know, I don't want you to end up like me. Be a dinosaur. And it's like, man, I really felt that. I really I really felt yeah, that. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Too often we get caught up in, you know, embracing uh real like when when people used to ask me what I wanted to be I wanted to be an artist as a kid and what did my dad say like any good 80s dad you'll never make any money you got to do something else tell me by the end of the night what you're going to be <laughs> you know that kind of thing it was highly discouraged um to be to be anything other than a productive member of society. Well, I mean, the, in, in, into the positive nature of the way that we're raised, as opposed to maybe how future generations yeah. have been raised, is that we were kind of had we had the fun beat out of us in a realistic way. So we don't we don't have a a fractured sense of like the world of how it works when we step out into it. And sometimes yeah. I, I don't not, have any patience for somebody that thinks they're a Pegasus. I, you know, a grown man that's like, I'm a Pegasus. So, cool, cool, but get a job. Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Do that on your off time. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a there's a healthy relationship in in rewatching some of these things from our childhood, and it, it very at the very least it allows us to mentally kind of transplant ourselves back to a simpler time when you didn't have bills and you could eat fruity pebbles, uh, and you know, in your underwear. Uh, Still from, do that daily, dog. Well, uh, yeah, cool. Well, there you go. You. We're halfway there to where we're getting at. All right. So this episode was directed by the same guy who directed the last episode with the name that I'm going to brutally mispronounce. Mazuzuka Higuchi. No need to run down his works again. Uh, some good stuff, some bad stuff. Uh, this episode was written by Dunford, uh, Dernford King and Richard Mueller. Dunford, uh, as his friends call him, Durney, has the distinction as being one of the few, if not the only person, to have written both for the real Ghostbusters and Filmation's Ghostbusters. Okay. Hmm. Wow. This is, this is a whole can of worms. So, number one, did you ever watch the Filmation Ghostbusters series? <sighs> yes. Minimal. I was, I was one of those kids that got sucked in thinking it was going to be something about the Ghostbusters, the Ghostbusters I knew and loved. And, the real Ghostbusters. And then because I had so few channels, I probably watched it anyway. The, the ironic thing about it is that this series is called The Real Ghostbusters, but in, in all truth, the Filmation Ghostbusters are the real Ghostbusters. And that's a whole can of worms of getting into uh, the licensing that they had to go through when they were making the original film. Because in the 70s, there was a series with Larry Storch from F Troop uh, called... The Ghostbusters, and it's just your typical 70s wacky series, and it's kind of like uh, Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman kind of comedy, you know? Right. And it, it's not bad for what it is, but it's not something that's going to transcend itself into a 
into another generation. Right. Or at least it shouldn't have. Because <laughs> when Filmation licensed the rights for the real Ghostbusters to happen, the animation studio Filmation, mind you, they didn't think it was necessary to secure the right for them to be the one to do the animated series. Because at this point, they didn't think like, well, this is a Bill Murray movie. Like, this is not going to turn into a cartoon. And of course, it blows up, becomes the biggest thing ever. And what do you know? Columbia? They've got their own animation studio. Fuck you, Filmation. But Filmation still having the rights, they decided, well, fuck, we've got to rush a cartoon out. So you had this race <laughs> of two competing Ghostbuster entities coming out at the same point. The real Ghostbusters, the which is the fake Ghostbusters, <laughs> and Filmation's Ghostbusters. And they debuted almost at the exact same time. Now, That's amazing. I mean, not amazing. As we know, anytime that somebody figures out there's a buck to be made out there, even capitalizing on a name, they're going to do it. Well, Filmation's Ghostbusters is it's very much in the style of like a 70s cartoon. It's wacky. Like anything you could do in a cartoon, you could do in that show. Like there's no laws of physics. And there might be people out there who like that kind of stuff. I'm not one of them. However, I will say this. As much as I love the toys that came from the real Ghostbusters, Filmation's Ghostbusters has probably the greatest ratio to accurate, to the animation, to actually physically holding a piece of plastic in your hand, realized toy uh, line in history. Mm -hmm. Every accessory... The the cars, the the building, the characters, they're so accurate to the toy line. The, the people who made those toys was a little toy house called Shopper, and they went out of business huh. as this was going on. So wow. those toys are super fucking rare. I mean, you can find probably the, the figures, but the car and the house or the firehouse or the, the ghost, the headquarters, whatever you want to call it, those things are so fucking rare. And as a kid, even though... I knew the difference. I still wanted those things because, stupid me, it's still called Ghostbusters, so I can justify it in my head. Right. And I can tell you that if I had, right now in front of me, nearly 40-year-old man, the the firehouse from Kenner or the ghost headquarters from Shopper, I would rather play with the one from Shopper. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of the best play sets, not call it from G.I. Joe or He-Man. Wow. So, or Star <laughs> Wars. But of, of, you know, of the lesser tiered toy lines of the 80s, it may be the unsung hero. Mm-hmm. How long were the toys from Real Ghostbusters in stores? Uh, are pretty much the entire time that the animated series was going from 86. To, and then I think they petered out around like 92. Okay. Because I can tell you, I was buying them all. Uh, be, one of the benefits of uh, having a, a broken family and, you know, having, <laughs> you know, uh, different parents vying for your affection through physical goods <laughs> is that I received a lot of toys growing up, you know, to fill that hole in my broken heart. But, um, dude, all my divorce, all my friends whose parents were divorced got the best Christmases. They had like the best toys. Like you go fifty Nintendo games. It was like, what are you do? How do you do this? Like, you get gifts from double the people. Also, you got to think, man. Action figures were like two seventy five back That's then, true. and they're nearly thirty dollars now. It's insane. Inflation is a bitch, and that to a degree, the toy industry has 
cut its own throat to to a degree. They, I, I would love for my kids to have, you know, the same amount of G.I. Joes that I had or the same amount of Star Wars characters that I had. There is no way we could afford that. I, I did the math the other day for a there was some series of, of toys that I thought would be cool to get my kid. And just for the first series, it was going to cost a thousand dollars. Jesus like, Christ. And I was like, uh, yeah, it's not going to happen. I'm not even going to get the first one because. Well, yeah. it, it, it's toys have shifted from a way of playing out your fantasies, you know, on your rug in the living room as you're watching a cartoon to putting it on a shelf. And it's become a collector thing rather than a play thing. It's our and generation. If you look around this room, it's a testament to that because I, you know, I have tons of things and they're not being played with. They're being, you know, they're behind glass or on a shelf and I enjoy them in a different way, but that's <laughs> such, such is life. Yeah, I wonder how many of the toys that are made today, like if they were vigorously tested for like safety standards and stuff, would stand up to like, can they be chewed on by a three-year-old? Like, like toys when we they're, were kids. They're certainly, you know? they're, they're built, they're more articulate than the five point figures mm-hmm. of our childhood, but they're so much easier to break. Yeah. Um, so that cost effectiveness, you're, you're buying a little statue that you can move a little bit. Just don't move it too much. So, anyways, uh, Dirty uh, worked on She-Ra, the Friday the 13th TV series, and the Highlander TV series. Um, Richard Mueller, on the other hand, is a well-respected TV writer, contributed bukus to the real Ghostbusters animated series. He wrote something like 19 or 20 episodes of the 140-episode run, so he was very much in the trenches and involved. Um, he had stints uh, writing for the Batman animated series, uh, and just like uh, Bruce Reed Chopper that we talked about in the last episode, he also worked on that Robo that RoboCop series I didn't know existed called RoboCop Alpha Commandos. That's so hard for me to believe that there's a Ghostbuster series that you didn't know existed. No, RoboCop. Robo. That's what I mean. RoboCop. Sorry. Yeah, I I've, have no fucking. Uh, you got to think though, like ninety seven, ninety eight. That's what is that? Like your third favorite movie? Series, maybe? RoboCop is in my top 10 top favorite, 10. Top okay. 10 favorite movies of all time, but I had no idea that there was a series, though. But you got to think, though, there was no internet back then. True. Like, if it wasn't on and you weren't, your face wasn't facing a television, you wouldn't know about it. Yeah. A uh, perfect example is Extreme Ghostbusters. That show had fucking ended before I even knew it existed. Did local broadcasters at that time have some some control of their Saturday morning lineup? Um, well, in other words, would some markets have some nationally syndicated cartoons that we might not have had? I think you like on Saturday mornings, you had on your different channels, like uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what they'd be called nationally. I'm saying Channel 8 and Channel 10. ABC, ABC, CBS, NBC. They had like their their first run programming. Mm -hmm. And those were the ones like that people came there for. Fox was the other one big in the 90s. Right. X-Men and Spider-Man and so on. But then they had the, like the secondary ones that were syndicated and maybe those were different from area to area. Yeah, maybe our market just never had that. Yeah, but uh, Extreme Ghostbusters was sold directly to syndication. There's only 40 episodes, but it aired on WB in my area and I would have never fucking known it had I not stumbled across it. And I'm like, holy shit, there's a there's new Ghostbusters. Right. And the the action figures like they, they didn't end up in stores until basically the show was over. And yeah, that's a whole that's a story for another time. But 
you know, uh, Richard Mueller, uh, he had his hand in a, a series that evidently is well regarded. It had high reviews on all the IMDb listings I looked at, but I, I'm, I might have to track down RoboCop Alpha Commandos. Maybe, maybe it's good. It's a cartoon, so it won't be. But <laughs> for cartoon standards, maybe it'll be good because I, I highly doubt there's, you know, bitches leave in, in, the, <laughs> in the episode. Okay. Um, we watched the introduction to this episode, mm-hmm. and you got to firsthand see Richard Mueller. Now, I knew what Richard Mueller looked like, and I made the comment that Richard Mueller kind of looked like if Zach Galifianakis was playing a character of an eccentric old man. Mm-hmm. A- am I nailing yeah, that, nail my head on that one? That's, that sounds that sounds pretty right on to me. Uh, Zach Galifianakis playing an an old creative man talking about a show he made years ago and has no idea what he's talking about at this he was, point. He was very clearly reading off a cue card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's like, uh, give me my paycheck. I don't want to talk about this show. He, he's all over the Time Life box set, which I is probably out of print by now. I know they've re-released the episodes in multiple formats and stuff since then, multiple versions of DVD. There haven't been a Blu-ray edition, I don't believe. But the Time Life edition... Is the that's the the end all be all holy grail of real Ghostbusters content. It's probably one of my favorite box sets just to begin with, and um, so glad that we could have that little extra nugget to add into our watch. Uh, but if you were to explain to someone who had never seen this episode, lay lay it out for us. So I th- I think this episode. Not to get into whether I think it's good or not yet. I think from a plot perspective, it has more levels than the episode we watched earlier. Yeah, it's it's a lot more of a, an engaged. It's a more Ghostbusters central plot rather than things happening on the periphery that the Ghostbusters have to intervene in. Yeah, I think it's uh, there's a morality tale about the love of money. You know, that kind of thing, um, which, of course, in the 80s, that 87, Green, you're right. You're, for the lack of a better word. Yeah. Is good. Yeah. Gordon we're, Gecko. We're kind of 1987. Oh, my uh, God. Fall of 87. That's Michael Douglas. See, we've all we've tied yeah, it all back in I together. Guess that's true. True. <laughs> so I, I think from that standpoint, um, it's about the evils of greed and but from a uh, actually, what is the episode itself about from a kid's point of view? Well, it's it's the old man that's trying to take his money with him to the ghost plane. Uh, <laughs> he's he's not trying to go to heaven or hell. He's he's going straight to the ghost plane, and he has the foresight to send his money there, but doesn't have the foresight to think about you know where he's going to be, what he's going to live in, where he's going to keep the money. It's just kind of there, and I guess he's guessing that he's going to jump right to the same place. But Regardless, they they actually make a point. They use this against him. Yeah, where it's like, okay, we've in, they've invaded his this like almost like the Trump Tower, but inside yeah. of it, there is like an Egyptian pyramid that they're using yeah. as a, a conduit to draw energy the, to shoot a hole into uh, the ghost world. The physics of this episode are bonkers. Like it's a tower, so I mean, we're in New York City, right? Oh yeah, so. 
you know, maybe you're, it's a city, not even a city block, but th- there's this big tower going up. But when they get inside the tower, it's like massive. It's like, like it's like the police box in Doctor Who. The inside is bigger than the outside. Yeah, and and yeah, there's no explanation of that, of course. Um, and I got I I mentioned it as we were watching it. I got a real feel of um, the like inside the GI Joe base or inside the Terror Drome. The look. It's a lot like that. Yeah, it was very like a lot of blocky consoles, and the walls are all kind of like chrome. That's got like shadow on it. Yeah, and they've all got like those those marking lines in them that like don't really mean anything, but it makes it feel <laughs> oddly like, mechanically like the, constructed, like the Superman three robot room scene kind of thing going on. <laughs> but yes, uh, <laughs> but um, I, I would say. The ultimate, um, and another thing I thought was interesting, um, the antagonist is a living human pretty much throughout the episode. He, he is, uh, He's, snidely whiplash evil, right? Which I think is a little bit of a detriment to this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm putting this in cartoon terms. Like, you want to paint your villain as evil up front that way. When he gets his comeuppance, uh, you don't feel bad about it. But he is a flesh and blood human being. And ultimately, spoiler, he gets fucking killed in this episode. (laughs) And the cops show up too late. And uh, we don't know what the legal ramifications of this were going to be. Like, wouldn't that not... Okay, let's break it down in legal terms. Would this not be... Uh, like involuntary man- manslaughter on, I, I, I mean, they contributed to this man's death. Now he was hell bent to get there. I mean, he was shooting lasers at them and controlling robots, arm gun things that were <laughs> shooting at them. And I, I mean, it could be argued it was self defense, but they did kind of show up at his place. <laughs> okay, so let's break it down. The very beginning of the episode, the Busters are in the firehouse. They're they're fast asleep, except for Egon, who's reading a book, and like I guess one of the bus the other Busters is like snoring or something, and like ignore, you know he's you know he's trying to enjoy his book. When all of a sudden the containment unit goes nuts, and the containment unit has these fail safes to alert them if there's like breaches into the ghost world, not just their own containment unit. And Peter's like, well, I'm going to go back to sleep. He's like, no, Peter, this is very important because this, you know, this could bleed out and, and then we'll be so infested with ghosts that we're not going to be able to, you know, we're going to have to hire more people. And then, you know, the dominoes will fall and this will not be a successful business. They don't get into those details, but that's what you're inferring. Right. So they hop in Ecto one, they drive around and the ghost sniffer on top of the, the car detects, you know, a high level, of, you know, spectral Activity. energy coming from, uh, I'm just going to call it Trump Tower, Trump Tower. And uh, they, they hop off their... Tumble Tower. Tumble Tower. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, they hop in there and they start investigating. Well, all of a sudden, you know, they're the our villain who, Mr. Trumbull? Tumble or Trumbull? I don't know. Trumbull, whatever. He is in a position to where he's accumulated so much wealth in both gold and in cash, and and he wants to take it with him. Very Ebenezer Scrooge like character. Oh yeah, he's in a he's in a wheelchair and fuck he, charity. He's he, not going to leave his money to anybody. He wants nobody, to take it with him. But he's also drawn more comically than like the Busters 
Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe that was a conscious decision to make him got kind of corn cob teeth. And- well, to make him a little less human, maybe because it, it lessened the impact. And he has this scientist who's you know built this thing where he can cut through the the ghost world, which I get, which is funny because it's like okay. The Ghostbusters understand this is a thing, but like, <laughs> why, how does anybody else uh, have is has ghost busting and uh, ghosts become so prevalent in the society where it's become an accepted fact that there is no heaven or hell? There's this weird in between dimensions where just like spirits roam free. Like, is that the norm? And apparently, or is this guy fringe? We don't we don't know that. They and don't this make scientist would just like freely build this for this guy and like with no no thoughts of if it, he he says he lies to it like you said you wouldn't do this or whatever well the they do sort of humanize the the scientist the scientist because he's like oh well we got to do we got to do more tests to make sure this doesn't hurt the, the environment the, the environment yeah. um which yet again if you are doing this and you are on your way out i'm kind of and this may just call me call me evil but if i'm in the position of the one who is going to be dying, I also wouldn't give a shit. But I get their shoehorning in in there to to make a point that this guy is evil. And when he questions the the villain of the piece about um, about these things, he he gets uh, escorted out by a couple of goons. And if they, you know, they basically throw him, throw him to the, to the wolves. <laughs> and, uh, you also find out later that his, uh, cook staff and like the butler and the waiter and all that, they're, uh, they've been held hostage and he's planning on taking them with him as well. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Yes, he's going to kill him. Yo, would they be able to survive? That's that's. I'm trying to figure this out because they don't make that entirely clear. Like, are they going? Does this process will it kill them and they'll be allowed in the spirit world to uh, remain alive, or will they? <laughs> I don't know. This is one of those things. Like, We're they, thinking too much they, about it. They, uh... they definitely skirt the line a little bit because they don't want to say, yeah, I'm going to murder these people. Or are they just going to be transported over into this world? But I'm inferring that they are going to die. He's probably going to kill them. And, <laughs> and their spirits are going to be basically slaves to him for the rest of time. <laughs> um, Pleasant. Yeah, very pleasant. Uh, so throughout the course of this, uh, we we find the Ghostbusters unable to uh, overthrow this situation. Uh, you you made a a point to talk about the um, while we we're watching the episode about they try to get an elevator and it's just turned into a, just like a cacophony of mouths and and yeah. stuff. And you were kind of critical about that, but I explained yes, that in the spirit yes. world they can possess these things. The animation in that part where the, uh, the, elevator. the elevator have turned into mouths, it reminds me of an episode, actually one of my favorite episodes from the series called Knock Knock. Uh, there's all these subway trains, and they they become you know infused with spectral energy, and the, the fronts of them all turn into these like worm kind of demon mouths and stuff, and they're not exactly the same, but I got that that kind of feeling. So there is a consistency 
to the animation in these episodes. But you pointed out uh, a really interesting thing that I wasn't exactly conscious of watching the episode until you really pointed it out. But the animation seemed to be a lot more fluent mm-hmm. uh, in this one and a lot smoother. You want to talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, it, it seems like we we thought that this might have been made earlier in their production cycle when they had a little more of an animation budget. The uh, action sequences are a lot less choppy. The uh, it looks like there's a lot more detail. There that- certainly was a lot less animation errors in this mm-hmm. episode than there were in uh, the one we watched before. I mean, all all animation is kind of special effects, but the special effects like the explosions, the lasers, things like that, they were crisper and they looked more professionally done. I know uh, another cartoon made by the same production house, like Inspector Gadget. Had it had a little bit of that look, some of the some of the explosions oh and God. things the, like that. The uh, the villain of this film looks like he came straight. He could from be Doctor Claw. This, this, that's the beginning. He get, instead of ending up in the Ghost World, he ends up in an alternate universe where he becomes Doctor Claw. Yeah, voiced by Frank Welker. It all ties, it all ties together. together. Wow. Um, <laughs> so the the big theme of this episode is that you know greed is you know for the the love of money is the root of all evil so mm-hmm. there there is a a moral to this episode it's not hammered in as much as you would think especially a lot of episodes from TV of the childhood era that we you know the mm-hmm. 80s era there was always the the PSAs at the end of GI Joe, sure. and um, which harkened back to the idea of children's programming needed to have a positive central message or morality or something like that. And I, I don't know if maybe it was even an FCC thing because you know the the PSAs at the end of GI Joe. I think that was like satisfying a certain percentage of. The educational television. Yeah, or- I think it wasn't like a a show by show basis, but like for your network, you had to you had to allot so much programming for educational stuff. That's why you would get the very special episode and things like that. Yeah, where where Dudley got touched by the <laughs> the by bicycle the bike man, sh- bike, sh- uh, bike shop owner. Um, Creepy. Then I don't know that there really there really is a, a Ghostbusters episode. A very that, special episode of well, Ghostbusters. Well, yeah, no one gets molested. Uh, well, actually, somebody got molested in the last episode we watched. <laughs> but there, there's not like a very special episode where like they deal with drugs and, and things like that. Um, there was the uh, All-Star cartoon, All-Star... You know what I'm talking about? Oh, my God. Where all the cartoon mascots got together. It was like a drug PSA. It's like a half an hour long. No, I don't think I've ever it's, seen it's that. It's Michelangelo. It's Alf. Oh, uh, Slimer. Uh, the, the, uh, all all oh the God. characters that you need to take drugs to enjoy watching. They, they got much, together yeah. to tell people not to. But that that was uh, that was a big deal in, in the 80s. Or they actually... I'm pretty sure that came out in the 80s, but it was probably it's like probably the, related to the Just Say No campaign. Oh, uh, absolutely, I mean, absolutely. But you know, it. I know it ran up and you know, through the 90s. They would throw it on mm-hmm. randomly on television. But I used to have the VHS, and I remember getting it, and I was I was gifted it because oh, Slimer's in it. You'll love this. Oh yeah. And then it's like, oh my god, why are why is why is this happening? I just I didn't. I, I got to find that on YouTube and check it out, <laughs> dude. It's probably worse than I'm than I'm pitching it as. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, 
the the last thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to leave this up to you, is the the enormity of the helicopter scene uh, <sighs> being probably the highlight of this episode in terms of unrealistic nonsense. God. Yeah, there was so much um, wrong with the the physics. I'm sure you know if if this cartoon came out today, the like the the helicopter pilots union would have to make a statement about <laughs> you can't be a helicopter pilot from one lesson. You know, uh, Ray makes the yeah, offhand remark. That, they, yeah, they got a free helicopter lesson in 1976. Now, and I don't know at this point in the series, I, I have to imagine it's already debuted, but Ecto two, which is a a it's a a three wheeler helicopter combo <laughs> that you know, has you know integrated proton streams and, and things. So it's obvious he knows how to fly this. I don't know why they found it necessary to throw this line in there because if you were a kid, chances are you had seen multiple episodes. Yeah. But then again, you know you're maybe, you're, you're maybe watching- they didn't have Ecto two until they uh, stole all this dead guy's money at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're gonna we're gonna get to that before we before we close up, but. So you found it hilarious in that they're basically free falling because <laughs> the, something happens and they even say like, "Oh my god, the, the spectral interference has blown up the magneto," which I, I laughed internally. I didn't say anything, so I'm thinking like, "Yeah, like you know, the X Men character." But um, basically, their remedy about this is that they rip a wire out of the console and stick it to a proton pack, and evidently that powered enough for them to. To be able to safely land. They but- hotwire this helicopter, and between the conversation of, oh, no, we've lost power, to Egon figuring out how they're going to get power, to executing them getting power, this helicopter could have fallen from the highest man-made structure <laughs> in existence, and it's going to be – like, they're going to have the people buried before well- – <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's the most ridiculous physics of – yeah, there is no point in arguing for realism in a show about fighting ghosts. <laughs> but if you've ever seen a helicopter crash, they don't fall straight down, which, you know, it, it definitely in a free fall kind of situation. Vic Moro wishes it took a helicopter that long to crash. They will, will even if there is enough, enough area for it to fall for an extended period of time, it's going to whip around in like a tornado kind of fashion because once again Vic Morrow knows all about it you didn't hear my first Vic Morrow (laughs) reference there I didn't (laughs) it was horrible (laughs) said Vic Morrow wishes a helicopter took that long to fall speaking of Vic Morrow uh, while while I'm thinking about this Eddie Murphy fairly recently I saw a quote from him that like made me laugh in a really gallows humor kind of way he said he'll work with John Landis again as soon as Vic Morrow does (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and That's I was like, so okay, bad. fair enough, fair oh. enough, because they were together on Beverly Hills Cop Three, and evidently <laughs> there's there's bad blood there, and well, it's all Eddie Murphy's fault because he was like, I don't want to make a funny movie. Sounds like a lot of people have had trouble with John Landis though over the years. John Landis is a fucking national treasure, unless you're those kids <laughs> in Vic Morrow. <laughs> God. He made the fucking Blues Brothers <laughs> with Dan Aykroyd, who was in Ghostbusters. He made Thriller. He did make Thriller, and Thriller is fire. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, so 
After all said and done, uh, they they put a trap, they overload it, and they throw some techno babble out. Basically, this is going to solve the problem. It'll shoot all the ghosts back into the ghost world, and it'll send uh, you know our evil billionaire back you know, hit to basically where he wants to be. Um, and yeah. then they throw out some more expository dialogue that explains why all of a sudden it starts raining gold bricks and cash stacks. Um, Which is basically his money that he had already sent over. Yes, but I guess they but they explain it away that like, well, because of the displacement of the ghost and blah, 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 uh, there's not enough room for he and they yeah. to be in the same place. What the fuck ever. They just inadvertently murdered a man. <laughs> And now they're left with his fortune, and uh, Peter, who is we, running a business, is like, well, here's our opportunity to get ahead for once. We finally got paid. But uh, he's talked down from it. And then the cops show up, and we don't we don't find out what happens, but they were all arrested for manslaughter. <laughs> they, they were put on trial. They were found guilty by a jury of their peers, and they have been... Uh, they've been up the butt a few times. Let's put it that way. But let's let's be honest. All that cash and gold bars. You gotta tell me they're not working something out with those beat cops that show up there at the end of the episode. I mean, let's not get too sanctimonious. No, I don't know. I this, don't know. This was the eighties though, when uh, evil was evil, good was good. There it was what? there wasn't a lot of in between. Well, our. The the memory of of the world is a lot more cut and dry back then, but you know shades of gray have always existed, and and this episode uh, has a good it it means well, but at the same time, like there's a lot of things that they don't take into account, like the fact that they're running a business, and and Peter makes this point very early on. It's like, hey, we're not getting paid for this. Why the fuck are we doing it? And they talk him into it. It's like, listen, uh, if we don't do something about this. The world is going to be overrun with ghosts in 15 hours. That's a big Twinkie. That is a big Twinkie. Isn't that job security? That's true. Yeah. Well, he even says that. He even says, oh, they'll go and haunt somebody else. And But uh, I also wonder, once again, we need to break down the math on some of these. Like, if they said in 15 hours there are going to be enough ghosts to take over the world. So in the length of the show, wouldn't there be exponentially more ghosts than there already were? Well, it, it, too much thought. Just but. enjoy cartoon. True. It's like cake. It tastes good. <laughs> <laughs> it's cone. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, here it comes to the point where we have to make a decision. Did this episode, did Busted make you feel good, or is this episode just busted? <sighs> too bad we don't have a half chubby ca- category or a blue balls category. I did not bust on this episode. <laughs> uh, I, it was busted for me. I'm going to argue the the other direction. Uh, I thought this episode was pretty good. I liked I liked that it tried to be something a little more. My negative things about it is I think the villain is a little too cartoony. Like there's not really a menace with him. And that's the I think if you switched that and made him if you're going to make him cartoonally evil. Make him look evil, and I don't know. Give him it, a little more of a, more of pomp and circumstance. He's a little too he's a little too goofy at points to be entirely taken seriously. 
But I still enjoyed this episode. I, I thought that the characters were well utilized. Everybody kind of got their moment to, of, you know, of our primary cast to shine. It was um, definitely better than the earlier episode, but it was less. But it was less enjoyable uh, overall a, because we made fun um, of the first episode. I think that it was. It had. That's why I said it. Kind of. It was. It was kind of a blue ball for me. Is. There was a lot of potential there. Like it had a good story. It had a good, like a good message behind it. This greed message. It just did not quite deliver the goods for me. Um, the antagonist throughout was, a, was a, the person. There wasn't a really memorable ghost. There were a lot of ghosts, but there wasn't really a yeah, is, one that stands a, a out. Quantity over quality. There wasn't a boss ghost. You know, there wasn't like a boss level ghost or I don't remember them anyway. Well. It was it was uh it was the man so and our, his and his guns. So as we start to close out this episode, we've decided that our first episode, uh, Hard Day's Night, uh, we both gave a busted on, and we were split on this one, half busted, half half busted. So, <laughs> um, hopefully, we'll have some better things waiting in the wings uh, before we close the containment unit. Let's. Use the randomizer app and decide the next two episodes we'll be covering on You Just Got Busted. All right, you ready? (laughs) (sighs) That's episode 17. All right, let's Holy find out. Heisenberg. Let's What's find that one it? called? I don't know. We'll find out in just a moment. Um, All right. Our next episode will be... Episode 48, that is Janine Melnitz Ghostbuster. Oh, I remember that one off the top of my head. Which originally aired September 29th, 1987, so right around the same time of these that we watched uh, tonight. The uh, earlier episode that you chose, episode 17, which is also early second season, is Sea Fright, which aired November 10th, 1987. Strange, Brandon, I just noticed that the air dates are out of order from the episode uh, yeah, they well, they, that was pretty common back then. They would produce an episode, and they would kind of just interesting where it would land. It would air a different time, you know. Which, as as we have talked about before, maybe not on air, but um, kids shows generally did not have the the high overarching storylines of uh, of other scripted television shows. Uh, so, because they wanted they wanted it to be seeker friendly. You know, a kid turns on the TV and they can just pick up and watch it. Well, that used to be the comic book format. You know, it would be, you pick up a comic and you could pick up the story at any point. You know, you can infer like backstory and stuff just out of the context. And, and now it's, it's become this, you know, long overarching thing. And that's great in terms of storytelling, but it also dissuades people from being able to jump into something kind of in the middle. And, and that's a big reason why a lot of children don't, watch necessarily as 
have a, a large slew of cartoons that they draw from. They watch, you know, one or two that they've watched all the way through or something like that. It's like you could pick up any show. I liked all the shows when I was a kid. Now, you know, my kid. <laughs> I liked all the shows. I liked all the shows. Charles wa- in Charge. <laughs> I would watch any cartoon. But like today, you know, my kids have specific shows that they watch. They won't just watch anything. Um, and oh. I think it's because there's a higher, higher difficulty of entry on the shows. You can't just start in the middle. Uh, that's definitely something to- At least with broadcast shows. I mean, if you're streaming shows, you're going to watch from episode one on anything. No, I mean, having it at the, at your fingertips is definitely different than like flipping through the channels and just kind of finding something. And, right. And, uh, you- which, you know, that's something you, you really think about it. That's a, that's a hurdle that today's producers don't have to jump because they pretty much everybody starts a show on episode one. That's true. Television is still television, but having a, a you know an immediate streaming option after the fact is is always going to allow people to kind of jump in at the beginning and sail their way through the show. That's going to wrap us up for this episode. We'll be back to fulfill all your paranormal elimination and podcasting needs very soon. Till then, the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast can be found on a multitude of platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So go give us a subscription right now. You can follow us on social media at Rants Black Lodge. And for the love of Slimer, go buy a T-shirt, a sticker, or a mug from our web store at RantArmy.com. For Jason Davis, this is Brennan A. Lane signing off. Till next month, Rant Army, keep busting.